0: Amen, amen, you may be seated Aren't you thankful for our choir and orchestra and music ministry, unbelievable <laughs> Praise the Lord You know I just knew when we went to two services we'd lose a lot of energy And uh, it was just clear this morning wasn't it uh, What an unbelievable time of worship, so excited about what God's doing Hey take your Bibles openly to Joshua chapter 20 Joshua chapter 20, we are back in our study of the book of Joshua I know we've been in and out quite a bit this summer, but we have, uh, Lord willing, four messages left from the Book of Joshua. I just want to say, as I got in my study early Monday morning, began to open up the Book of Joshua, kind of remembering myself exactly where we were and what was next. I just was overwhelmed with the Lord's goodness and kindness and providence and sovereignty in our lives, that He brought us to a place that I would never just open up and choose to be in at this moment, but This is why we walk through books of the Bible, because the Lord determines where we are next. And the next four messages are really just incredible for where we are as a church. I'm really thankful the Lord has us here right now. And particularly in this Joshua chapter 20, a great message reminding us this morning of the heart of God. Now let me just say a few words in case uh, some of you might forget about the book of Joshua and you've forgotten where we are about what's going on. The book of Joshua is the story of the people of God who have been saved by God's grace from slavery. So God saved them, not just so that he might bring them out from slavery in Egypt, but so that he might bring them in. God always saves us from something, and God saves us to something. He's not just trying to get us out of hell. He's trying to get us into eternal life, which starts the moment we come to know him. And so God is leading his people on this journey. Specifically, in the book of Joshua, he is leading them into the promised land. He is leading them to take hold of all of the promises of God. So when God brought them out, he said, All of these things I want to give you, but you must go and take a hold of them. The book of Joshua is all about land. Everywhere, every chapter, it's all about land, but really, it's not. Because land is simply pointing us to life. God was trying to reestablish what was there at the very beginning in the Garden of Eden when it was life as God intended it to be. His people, living in his place, experiencing his presence, fulfilling his purposes. And all of this journey of the people of God is to get them back into that moment where they would, by their faith, experience the fullness that all God has for them. And in Joshua, he simply says this, He said, listen, I wanna give you more than you could ever imagine. I wanna pour out the fullness of my blessing upon you. All you must do is trust and follow me. If you trust me, if you follow me, if you're strong, if you're courageous, if you do everything I've commanded you to do, you will experience the fullness of life as God intended it to be. Now, the reason this matters for us is because The book of Joshua is a model for what it means for us to follow Jesus Christ ourselves. We too are the people of God who have been saved from slavery. And we've not only been saved from something, we've been saved to something. This is why the moment you give your life to Christ is not the end of the journey, it's the beginning of the journey. This is the start of a new life. And God wants us to take hold of all of his promises, experience everything he has for us. Jesus said, I came to give you life and life abundantly. But in order for us to experience that, we must take hold of it. We must, too, choose to trust and follow him, believing in his word. And then not only hearing it and believing it, but choosing to walk in faith and following it. And every time we do that, we experience a little more of the life of God. And that's what the book of Joshua is teaching us. Now, the book of Joshua not only reveals to us how we follow the Lord, but it also reveals to us the Lord in whom we follow both of those things matter. We're not going to follow something who, someone who we do not understand. We're not going to give ourselves fully to the Lord unless we come to understand his heart. So in every episode in Joshua, say, hey, listen, here's how to follow me, and here is the one that you're following. And That's what I love about Joshua 20. Because Joshua 20 gives us some insight into the heart of God. And it could be you this morning are debating whether to trust and follow Jesus. You've heard different things about the Lord, and you don't know whether he's worthy of your life or not. I want to tell you this morning, we're going to get a little insight into the heart of God as he reveals himself to us. Now, look with me at Joshua chapter 20. and We're going to read verses 1 through 6, and if you're there, say amen. It says this. Then the Lord said to Joshua, say to the people of Israel, Appoint the cities of refuge, of which I spoke to you through Moses, that the manslayer who strikes any person without intent or unknowingly may flee there. They shall be for you a refuge from the avenger of blood. He shall flee to one of these cities and shall stand at the entrance of the gate of the city and explain his case to the elders of that city. Then they shall take him into the city and give him a place, and he shall remain with them. And if the avenger of blood pursues him, they shall not give up the manslayer into his hand because he struck his neighbor unknowingly and did not hate him in the past. And he shall remain in that city until he has stood before the congregation for judgment, until the death of him who is high priest at the time. Then the manslayer may return to his own town and his own home and the town from which he fled." Verses 7 and 8 tell the specifics of where exactly the land is, and go to verse 9. These were the cities designated for all the people of Israel, and for the strangers sojourning among them, that anyone who killed a person without intent could flee there, so that he might not die by the hand of the avenger of blood till he stood before the congregation. Now that may seem like a bit of an odd passage of Scripture, But we're right here in the middle of the people receiving the promised land. And after they have taken the promised land, Joshua is then dividing it up among the tribes. And at the end of all that, after everyone has received their place, the Lord stops them and says, listen, there's one more thing to be done. We need to make sure we set apart six cities of refuge. Six cities, three on the east and three on the west. Strategically located so anyone who need them could run to them no matter what direction they were coming from. And the reason these cities were necessary is because of what it tells us here. That there is often a manslayer. Now what a manslayer is in this context is someone who has unintentionally taken the life of another person. Whether it be from some accident or something that has happened, it wasn't done out of hate, it wasn't done out of spite, it wasn't premeditated. Some accident took place and someone has taken the life of another person. Now, the reason this person needed a place to run and hide is because it was not only, listen, the right, but the responsibility of the family to appoint an avenger of blood. This is the way in which capital punishment was done. It was right, right and the reasonable responsibility of the people. And so what would happen is there would be one designated person in the family, most likely the next of kin, whose responsibility was then go to find the one who had taken the life and to take care of business. Now, here's the problem. What if that life was taken unintentionally, and all of a sudden this one that was involved in this accident finds himself on the avenger of blood after him, most likely the avenger of blood is not going to be looking for a conversation in which you can explain all the details of exactly what happened. It's not going to work that way. You're going to have someone after you and you need a place to go. So verses 4 through 6 give specific instruction of everything that they're supposed to do. It says the manslayer, first of all, needs to run. Four times it tells him to run, flee, move, because someone's after you. You come to the gate of the city, and there's going to be someone standing there, and you're going to make your case. And then if your case seems reasonable, then they're going to let you in. And when they let you in, you're now protected from the avenger of blood. So this avenger is going to come. He's going to know you're in the city, and he's going to say, listen, I need in there. And the people who are watching this city are going to say, no, 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 we've heard his case. He's going to be tried more officially, but you can't come in. So now the manslayer is protected by the city of refuge. Now, this is not new in the book of Joshua. It tells us in in verse 2, look what it says. Say to the people of Israel, appoint the cities of refuge of which I spoke to you through Moses. It's referring to Exodus 21, when the people of God were in Israel. Moses already established these cities of refuge. So listen, you need to make sure you appoint places where these people can run. It's mentioned then again over and over in Scripture. It's mentioned in Numbers 35. When God says to Moses, listen, make sure that when you enter into the promised land that you make these cities and you set them apart. Two more times in the book of Deuteronomy, chapter four and chapter 19, he reminds them again, make sure you put the cities of refuge when you come into the promised land. Now, this is an interesting thought. Five different times the Lord makes sure that the people of God are obedient to establish these cities. That this was God's idea that God is the one who established this, that God is the one who commanded this. And even though he told them four times prior to this, once they come again here, the Lord stops them again and says, listen, don't forget. Make sure you set aside these cities of refuge. Now, the fact that these exist and they're mentioned so often says a few things to us. It says, first of all, this must have happened a lot. It seems odd to me that there would be so many of these accidents, but apparently this is the case. There's six different cities set up for this purpose, so this must have been happening somewhat frequently. But it also tells us some things about God. If this was God's idea, if God is the one who kept reminding, if God is the one who established this, do you realize the existence of these cities reveals to us some things about God? And that's what I want us to see this morning. What does this tell us about the heart of God? What does it reveal to us about what matters to God and then in turn should matter to us? Let me tell you a few things that matter to God based upon what we see in the existence of these cities of refuge. I encourage you to write these down. The first one is this. Life matters to God. Life matters to God. Every single life involved in this situation matters. The life of the one who is killed accidentally, that matters to God. That's why God's getting involved in the situation because that loss of life matters to God. The life of the manslayer, that matters to God. He's created a city so the manslayer could run there. This, this matters to God. It's clear that He's concerned about the life of that one. The avenger of blood, that life matters to God. Because God does not want that person to then kill another person and make the situation worse. He's concerned that that person not do the wrong thing. Every single life in this situation matters to God. And it's a really good reminder, listen, that every single life matters to God. Every life matters to God. Every school year, our family tries to choose something uh, that we can do at the breakfast table before school starts. Now, I just I want to be careful here to... Uh, to give you a clear picture of what's happening in this moment, uh, our evenings are often a little bit crazy. A lot of different bedtimes, all of that, and so mornings are kind of the only time we can get together. But there are four women trying to get together and go to school, so there's all of that. I don't even see this say anymore. There's just that happening, and then there's this three-year-old madman whose job he feels is to make things as 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 more chaotic as he possibly can. Like he wakes up thinking, "What could I do?" to make this situation more chaotic? What can I do to aggravate every single one of my sisters before they go to school? So that's what he's doing. That's just kind of what he woke up with. So there's a lot of chaos going, but we try to spend a few minutes at the table every morning just talking about a few things. I just wanna make sure you don't have this like Puritan picture in your mind. It's chaos, okay? What we're doing this year is we're walking through this catechism, this list of about 74 questions that go with the Gospel Project. It's the curriculum we do for kids here on Sunday morning. And so this Monday, we did the very first question. Here it is. Who is God? The answer is, God is our creator and king of everything. Now, the reason we start with that question is not because the Bible starts with that answer. That's important. We start with that question because that question is the foundation of everything else in the Bible. If you don't get that, nothing else matters. If you don't begin with the confidence That you exist because God created you, that you are a created being, that your life matters to God, that there is purpose behind your life, that God is the one who you came into being because of. It was God who formed you, Psalm 139, in your mother's womb. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. And because you were created by God, you belong to God, and he is to be the king and the ruler of your life. You have been planned, known, and formed by God. It also reminds us that every single life matters to God. Red, yellow, black, or white, every single one of them are precious in His sight. And there's no person more valuable and no person less valuable to God. Every single individual person matters to God because every individual was created by a sovereign God. This is why. God loathes, and I'm just using that word because I don't know of a stronger one, loathes, hates, despises with every ounce of his being any form of racism. Because what racism does is racism says that you're more valuable than someone else because the color of your skin or the country that you're from or your economic class, God is completely opposed to every form of racism because it acts as if for some reason you're greater than any other individual. But every single individual matters to God. This is why we would stand and say, particularly in the time in which we live, that white supremacy is absolutely from the very pit of hell and demonic in every way. Because every life matters to God. Every life has been created by God. This is why Prince Avenue Baptist Church founded the Athens Pregnancy Center. Not only because the life of an unborn baby matters to God, because the mom matters to God. And the dad matters to God. Every person involved in this situation matters to God. So it is the church's responsibility to show the world that life matters to him. And it's important for us to see in this moment, because God has created these cities of refuge, listen, that your life matters to God. That you are God's idea. God is the one who formed you. And no matter what happens, everything about your life matters to God. Life matters. The second one is this. These cities of refuge also reveal to us that justice matters to God. Life matters to God and justice matters to God. Now, because life matters, justice also must matter. These two things have to go hand in hand. If you care about life, you must care about justice. God is righteous. What that means is that God does what is right. And God, because of his character, must do what is right. He cannot do that which is wrong. And so the God who does what is right must stand in righteous judgment. He must fight for what is good. He must punish that which is evil. He must execute justice. This is why the Bible tells us that you should not get your own vengeance. The vengeance is mine, the Lord says. I will repay. It often seems as if God is not bringing justice. It often seems that we have been done wrong or others have been done wrong and we wonder where the justice is. I assure you based upon the authority of scripture, God will bring justice to everyone and everything that has happened. Every situation will be dealt with by a just God. But God is saying, "Let me do it. I am a just God and I will deal with it." But justice matters to God. And the city of refuge is just it's a city of justice. This is why the manslayer goes and he makes his case so that what is just can be done. And he's protected so that what's just can be done. He is to be protected from injustice. Now think about this. If God loves justice, God hates injustice. God cares about things that are done unjustly, people who are treated unjustly. And God is the defender of those who are treated unjustly. About 15 years ago, I became aware of a ministry that I still follow called International Justice Mission. Their job and their Christian organization is to deliver the 40 million slaves that exist in the world. Do you realize there are still 40 million slaves around the world? And not only to deliver them, but to bring the slaveholders to justice. I don't know why it is, but oftentimes as a church, we think that those are social issues that we shouldn't be involved in. But I wanna tell you something, that is a good, godly, and right cause that we should care about. Because we believe in a God who is just and we're concerned about injustice. Injustice bothers us as much as it bothers God. And the reason is, is because it's at the very heart of God. Listen to what Psalm 146 says. God executes justice for the oppressed. He gives food to the hungry. The Lord sets the prisoners free. The Lord opens the eyes of the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord watches over the sojourner. He upholds the widow and the fatherless, by the way, but the way of the wicked he brings to ruin. God is concerned with those who are oppressed. He is concerned with those who have been dealt with unjustly. And then Jesus comes on the scene and he begins his ministry by opening up a scroll and saying this, The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and the recovery of sight to the blind. Listen, Jesus says the Lord has sent me and anointed me to set at liberty those who are oppressed. Oppression matters to God. If God loves people, if God is righteous, then God must love justice. And he must hate injustice. And he does. Cities of refuge show us that life matters to God and justice matters to God. But it also reveals this, write this down. The cities of refuge reveal that mercy matters to God. Mercy matters to God. It's important in the midst of talking about the justice of God to also talk about the mercy of God because these cities were cities of of refuge. They're an oasis for the troubled. They're a place where a family can come and find Mercy. So, what is the, the mercy of God? Well, the mercy of God is God's tender hearted, loving compassion for people, especially the needy. His tender hearted, loving compassion for people. God is not just a judge who brings justice, He is a compassionate God who cares and acts for those who are oppressed. The existence of this city shows us that God sees the needy person and he cares for the needy person and he offers the needy person a place where they can come and find what they may not find anywhere else and that is a tender-hearted, loving compassion from God. When God reveals himself to Moses, I find this such a great passage in Exodus 34. It's the refrain that's used all the way throughout the Bible. God is revealing himself. He says this, I am the Lord, the Lord, the Lord. I am a God merciful and gracious. I am slow to anger, and I'm abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. He says, I want you to know this about me. I am a merciful God. I'm tenderhearted. I'm compassionate. I am gracious. Now, I don't know what comes to your mind when you think about God. I don't know what's been instilled in your mind and your heart because of the way you were raised about God. But all I know is when God reveals himself, he says he is a gracious, merciful God who is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. In reading the Gospels over the last month or so, I've been reminded all throughout in the book of Matthew, but particularly in the Gospel of Luke, the compassion of Jesus Christ. The way in which Jesus not only sees needs, but he feels the needs. In Matthew 9, 36, it says this, Jesus saw the multitudes, he felt compassion for them. That's the tender-hearted Loving compassion of God. And that word means that Jesus in his very gut felt the weight of their hopelessness. Because it says this, he saw them as a sheep without a shepherd. He saw them wandering through life. He saw them aimless. He saw them going in the wrong direction. He saw them being oppressed. And what the Lord says is this. He says, I see you. And I see what's happening in your life. And I'm a God of mercy. And I not only see it, but I feel it. And I'm gonna send my son to enter into that place so he might feel it with you. And he will become a good shepherd so that those who Jesus sees as sheep without shepherd can have the opportunity to come to Jesus Christ, the great shepherd, and find mercy in him. I tell you, our world is in short supply of mercy. But God has a never-ending amount of mercy available to anyone who will run to him. The city of refuge shows us that mercy matters. The last one is this. It it reveals to us that healing matters. It reveals to us that life matters. It reveals to us that justice matters. It reveals to us that mercy matters. Listen, and it reveals to us that healing matters. Now, I got to be honest. When I was studying this text and I saw this, which I had never seen before, this absolutely fired me up. And it's maybe because I got all kinds of junk and need a lot of healing. I don't know. But imagine what the manslayer felt at the moment of this accident. Can you just think about this? Are you with me? If you're with me, say amen. So all of a sudden an accident's happened and you've realized that you've taken the life of someone else. I'll never forget when my cousin in high school, who's a year younger than me, was in a car accident. It was just him and another person in the car, another teenager. It was not his fault. It was the other kid's fault. But when he hit them, he killed him instantly. And I watched my cousin as he was 17 years old walk through how to navigate that situation and see all of the things going on in his heart and life. You just imagine all that's happening in this moment. There's fear because there's an avenger of blood who's coming after you. There is all kinds of guilt and maybe anger of why this is happening to me, a sense of condemnation, maybe a sense of bitterness. Immediately, God, why me? Why did this happen to me? My entire life is changed now because of this situation. Now I have to run and I have to hide. Just imagine everything that they're feeling in their heart in that moment. Then they remember there's a a city of refuge, and here's what's incredible. Listen to this. God could have put these cities anywhere. But all of these six cities were put within the 48 cities that were inhabited by the Levites. Do you know who the Levites are? They're the worship leaders. They're the ones who write the songs, who lead the songs, who minister to the people, who call the people to worship. So instead of taking the manslayer and putting them on a deserted island or putting them far out of town with guards around them, he stuck them in a city filled with worship leaders. Why? Because God was not simply concerned with their physical safety. God was concerned with their spiritual and emotional well-being. And I love that. I love the awareness that God cares about everything going on in your heart. God cares about what's happening emotionally. God knows that every one of us, listen to me, every one of us without exception, walked in here this morning with spiritual, emotional, and sexual baggage. Every one of us. I want you to know this, God cares about every bit of it. God does not just care about your spiritual life. He cares about all of your life because you can't separate all of those things. All of those things are determining who you are and what you do. And the fact that these cities of refuge were inhabited and ran by Levites reminds us that our God is a God who cares about everything going on in your heart. This is the reason that Jesus in Matthew 11 stands up and says, hey, listen, Come to me, all you who are weak and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. He's referring to those who have spent their lives on this treadmill of performance, that they're comparing themselves to other people. They're constantly looking at their life in the light of other people's life. They never feel like they match up. And what the Lord is saying is if you feel that way, if you're all about performance, if you're all about competition, if you're all about comparison, why don't you come to me and I will give you rest from that. (laughs) Can you imagine having rest from the trap of comparison? Can you imagine having rest from that treadmill of performance feeling like God is only happy with you when you do what is right? What the Lord is saying is this, this is exactly the kind of healing I want to give you. Because every one of us has issues, some more than others. But we all have a lot more issues than anyone else around us knows. And God cares about every single one of them. And he wants you. To be healed. These seas of refuge reveal to us the heart of God. So all of a sudden we see that life matters to God and justice matters and mercy matters and healing matters to God. Now, here's what worship is. Worship is responding to revelation. That's what worship is. So every time we get a revelation of who God is and we respond to that, that's, that's worship. Worship is not simply singing, but it is because we're looking at the words and we're responding with our voices. So if God has revealed himself to us, we must respond to that in order for us to give him the worship he deserves. So how do we respond to this revelation? How do we respond to the the revelation of who God is and what matters to him? Let me tell you, the first way we respond to this revelation is this. You must run to Jesus. You must run to Jesus. There's a lot of running happening in Joshua 20. I don't know if you noticed, but four times the word flee is used. Four times. Over and over it tells the manslayer to flee, to flee, to flee. There's a lot of running happening in Joshua chapter 20. I'll never forget uh, about a month or so ago I was uh, standing at the front doors of our church on a Monday morning. The first day of VBS. Absolute chaos and craziness and wonderful. I'm standing there and I decide to stay until everyone gets settled and just kind of to make sure everyone feels good. About 20 minutes after we got started, everything was quiet. A mom comes to the door. She's the only one there and she goes, Do these doors lock automatically? I said, well, What do you mean? She goes, well, well, can someone get in and out? I said, Well, people have to be able to get out, but nobody can get in. We do have it locked and it's secured. She says, Well, I'm just concerned about one thing. She goes, My child's a runner. I said, you mean like for school, like cross country? What are we talking about? She goes, no, he'll run. Like he's going to leave. He will try at some point during this week to leave. And by the way, he did on Tuesday. We caught him. (laughs) I'm not making this up. Like he, she told us he's a runner and he ran. You know, I think about that a lot, not just because it's amusing, but because let's listen. All of us are runners. You know that? And we came by it naturally. We got it from Adam and Eve. What did Adam and Eve do when they fell into sin? Well, the weight of sin, the weight of condemnation, the weight of shame did what it always makes us to do. It causes us to run. And Adam and Eve ran as far as they could. They hid from God. They didn't want to be found. They didn't want to be noticed because sin and shame and guilt always makes us run. It is the natural response to sin. That's exactly why. 47 times in the book of Psalms, the book which expresses it's God's concern for our emotional, spiritual healing than any other book, 47 times it says this, God is our refuge. Because the Lord knows that you're going to run. The Lord knows that the natural consequence of sin is to run. The Lord just wants to make sure, listen to me, you run in the right direction. You're gonna run. You've got to run, and all of you are running somewhere, some of you to further brokenness, trying to find anything that can fix the brokenness inside of your heart, some even good things. But I'm here to tell you this morning on the authority of Scripture that there is only one safe place to run with all of your issues and all of your junk and all of your baggage, and his name is Jesus Christ. Jesus is the city of refuge. He knows you, he cares about you, he's the only one that perfectly understands you. He is, by the way, the wonderful counselor, and he is the only one who can bring the kind of healing and mercy that you need. you got to run to Jesus. The second response is this, is that we, listen, must manifest Jesus. You must run to Jesus, and we, as the people of God, must manifest Jesus. Think about this with me. Jesus is the city of refuge. He is the only one that has life. You've got to run to him, he alone. We are the body of Christ, which means the way in which the world comes to see Jesus as a safe place to run is through the ministry of believers, specifically in the context of the local church which means if it matters to God, it better matter to us. Justice better matter to us. Life better matter to us. Mercy better matter to us. Healing must matter to us. Even the emotional, spiritual, sexual healing that is so needed in our world, all of that must matter to us. The 40 million slaves, that's got to matter to us. The 20 million refugees, even the ones that are here, listen, that's gotta matter to us. The 1.5 billion hungry people in the world, that has to matter to us. The 220 million unengaged, unreached people groups who have no access to the gospel, never heard the name of Jesus, representing over 3 billion people, that has to matter to us. If that doesn't matter to us, we are playing church. Because the very heart of God is a God that feels the hurts of people, a tender-hearted, loving compassion for people. And all of those things must matter to us. This is why in Micah 6.8, the Lord says, this is what the Lord requires of you, to do justice, to love mercy, to walk humbly before the Lord. We are in fact the people of God and we call ourselves the people of God and we call ourselves Christians, those who follow Jesus Christ and what matters to him must matter to us, that we must be displaying that Jesus is in fact, in a way that they see it from us, the only safe place to run. Our mission as a church is the Great Commission. The way we say it is this, leading people to trust and follow Jesus. That's it. We don't do anything else. We do that. We, we lead people meaning we take an active, engaged approach in leading people. We're we're a people-focused church and we're leading them to trust and follow Jesus. And the reason is this, is because we recognize that every single person we encounter is a broken person because we live in a broken world. And every single person is trying to heal their brokenness. And what the vast majority are doing is grabbing at anything that they might find that they think is going to heal their brokenness. But if that thing is not Jesus, they're actually creating more brokenness for themselves. And so this kind of cycle just continues to go and go and go of greater and greater brokenness because they've never found Jesus. But we know the story of the gospel that Jesus Christ entered into a broken world. Jesus then died upon a cross, listen to this, so that he might take upon himself all of our brokenness. You know that. Physical, emotional, sexual, all of that junk, all of that pain, Jesus took so that we then might get his righteousness. And if we choose to trust and follow him and repent of all of our attempts to fix our brokenness and we then start pursuing Jesus, moment by moment, step by step, Jesus starts to make us whole. It doesn't happen at once. You don't come to Jesus and all of a sudden everything's fixed, but you come to Jesus knowing that as you follow him day by day and moment by moment, he begins to put your broken life back together again. And that's the reason we get excited about Jesus. Let me say that again. That's the reason we get excited about Jesus. That's the reason we get excited about Jesus. Because Jesus wants to fix brokenness, yours and everyone else's. That's why we proclaim Jesus Christ. God is good. And Jesus cares about every single part of your life. And he longs to take your broken life and the broken life of everyone else around you and put it back together again. And he's inviting you this morning. For the first time Maybe you've never chosen to trust and follow Christ and make him your Savior. For the first time, he's inviting you in. Listen, for the hundredth time, the thousandth time, he's inviting you right now. He's saying, stop running in the wrong direction. Run to me. I'll heal you. I'll begin the process of restoring you. No matter what time it is for you, the first or the hundredth, Jesus is inviting you to trust him enough to believe that he wants to heal you that he is in fact the city of refuge. So run to him. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes this morning.